Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. I'm Connor and I'm here with Alan. Hello. This week on the podcast, we're looking at what makes a good CV and how you can use the skills and experience gained during the ACCA training to land your dream job. We also look at recent news stories surrounding the coronavirus and the negative and some positive effects that are happening for certain businesses before getting to this week's student questions. So today, Connor, we're, we thought we'd have a look um, like people when they come to the end of any exam sitting that they're taking. Um, it's always a feeling. And sometimes when you finish your exams or even when you're partly way through it, kind of you might be a bit tired of exams. But you think, oh, I've made a certain level or I've made a certain grade. Maybe I could look for a new job, look for a better salary, look for a change of scenery. There's lots of different reasons why. Yeah, I think it's funny because everyone's doing all this work with exams and learning and educationally, and then you get to a point and realize, right, now how do I bring that into actually getting a job? And there is some additional things or or ways you need to show that to employers. So today we thought um, we'd talk about CVs and uh, CVs are a bit like exams that students kind of um, in exams, they take kind of exam technique and and timing and all of that as a given. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's sometimes with the same with CVs and you kind of think, no, surely like there's so much advice out there. And then like any time we're looking for somebody and you see CVs coming in, you go, really? Did they, yeah. did they really spell curriculum wrong? <laughs> yeah. Or like that's a terrible layout or look at the different fonts and right. those things because that's the kind of stuff you look for attention to detail. You think, yeah. Well, they can't even do a CV properly. Are they really the person you want and to And I think it's that idea as well it's I know what I'm supposed to do but maybe I'll just have a four page CV or yeah, may, yeah. maybe I'll just add in all these extra information even though I know it's supposed to be short so yeah. it's sometimes I, I think <laughs> a quick tip is when you're 23 years of age don't talk about your lifelong experience Yeah, I always think they're the kind of the funny ones but anyway we'll get to more formal who, who cares what I think we're going to ask some, <laughs> we have some experts here so recently we released a blog um, about uh, what makes a perfect CV and uh, I know a number of people in Learn Signal did quite a bit of research and they talked to some industry experts and we talked to some companies in the UK, um, Robert Half, and we talked to some other directors and in, in other and we have a local um Irish company um who we work with. So Matthew will be very keen um for us to say hello. Maybe yeah. if he if he's a listener. Listening. He was involved in my hiring. He so, was involved yeah. in your hiring, so we give him lots of credit. So I think the first thing we'll do is we kind of take different parts of it and we'll go through that advice. So if you are thinking of um, moving jobs, um, it is worth spending a bit of time um, looking at your CV and not just firing one out. Um, so the first thing is um, we asked a few um, industry experts what are the kind of the three key things people should keep in mind when writing a CV um, and again, uh, Matt Weston, who's the managing director and Robert Half in the UK, um, kind of the, the, the basic one is people think they have one CV and they fired out for everything. But if a job description is a little bit different, two job descriptions could be a little bit different. You really want to kind of highlight the areas in your CV that match that job description. So it is a temptation to say, oh, I've got one CV, but you do kind of... Like if you did a job, for example, kind of you working in Earn Signal, you could have some of the things you do with us could benefit one job description and some others, but you want to highlight them depending on the job. Yeah, and I think end of the day for whoever's looking at those CVs and trying to um, they're trying to match, you know, the candidate to the role they're looking for. So really, when someone scans through your CV, it should very much be a kind of ticking off exercise that that's hitting all the main points. It's like again to look at an exam scenario. 
you know, they're looking at a marking scheme and they need to see, well, it's it's done all that thing. So the CV is the same. You want them to look at it and say, well, that's hit all the points we're looking for. Mm. Um, so you, you do need to tailor it around, you know, whatever job spec you've seen or where you've seen that job advertised. I think the other thing, and you can't go on about it in a CV, but it's something that a lot of the experts that we contacted mentioned, um, is really talking about those soft skills and um, the high, like fitting in culturally is so important and those soft skills to highlight that you are a person who could um, engage with other people or it's kind of when you meet somebody it's not really about whether they're a good accountant or not sometimes is are you comfortable being stuck in a room on your own for a while just chatting to them Yeah. and those soft skills and may, whether it be a management skill or whether it's just kind of a cultural or personality fit are really really important and I think the important thing on that as well is you know you need to evidence that in some way mm. uh, no recruiter just wants to see um, or no company when they're looking at CVs you hitting all these words like good communication good leadership good if you can in a very concise way say you know management experience because I yeah. managed a certain number of give employees examples. or give an example yeah. um, rather than just give buzzwords or jargon yeah I think the um and, and I hate the, you touched on it earlier. There's probably two things that um, if you if you send in a CV to an employer, you're really leaving yourself open to kind of and to be targeted or maybe even disregarded. First of all, it's the long CV. It's kind of having five years work experience and a seven year CV. Yeah. I think like at one point it kind of went to a, a one page and now some some of our experts would say no longer than two pages I think you have to tailor it to your experience and how many jobs that you have but no matter how experienced you are you want it over no longer than two pages you want something to talk about in the interview and it's really yeah. up to you to make sure that you've included the key information in those two pages that apply to the job yeah and they they don't really care about your exam results when you were 13, 14 exactly. in school yeah, yeah, yeah. These long how did you do in school 27 yeah, yeah. years ago it's really important <laughs> And I think the other one, and and I'm terrible for this, and I know in interviews you're always you're looking for gaps in your CV, so you're kind of well, you worked in company A until August, and then you worked in company B from the following January for a year. What did you do in the eight months? And that's when people get stuck, and maybe it's in a maybe it's a job that didn't work out, and they're afraid to talk about it. Um, but actually, it looks like you're hiding something, and and it's you're better off fronting up and saying well, I actually took this job. I thought it was going to be a great job. It didn't work out for either of us and I just moved on and I kind of learned lessons from it. It's a much better one than kind of going all red and embarrassed and feeling, because it's going to be something anybody looking at the CV really targets. Yeah, so I think the second one is the the visual side of it. And here it's actually less is more. People think if you need to make your CV visually stand out, that doesn't mean adding loads of graphics and images and making it really long. What they say by good visual is actually having it really clear, really concise and well laid out. This so is Matthew, isn't it? This is Matthew From as well. Lincoln, yeah, yeah. You must be talking about my CV. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, what, you know, what this, what Matthew would be saying is there's a certain amount of basic content you need, like your name, address, emails, um, your academic history, some employment history. You should include all that, but not overdo it. It should just be very easy for them to get that um, initial information. Then, you know, there's other things we talked about, about having, you know, good spelling, not duplicating experience and having it nice and clear and even breaking it up by headings. So that I think what he would say is is having um, 
a good, a well laid out, simple CV is that if a stranger, if you hand it to them in kind of 10 to 15 seconds, they build a very good picture of you, um, your previous employment, you know, a bit of your, your background or history. So really, as we said, less is more is the key. Mm-hmm. It's about focusing on the the kind of relevant information and the, the skills and experience and accomplishments that you want to talk about um, and tailoring it to, you know, the information that's needed for that specific job. And then again, we, we've, you know, comments from some of the other um, recruiters we talked to, but they highlight that point, no more than two pages, short, sharp, snappy sentences, and just really hitting the key information and the information that adds value to you as a candidate. Really, if you'd started off and saying, here's advice for answering the perfect exam question. Yeah, that's it's what I'm starting to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, clear, yeah. concise, get to the point. Make sure they understand what you're saying. You apply your knowledge, all that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah. It really is like, like they are. Both of them are relatively simple, simple process yeah. and concepts. If you just actually apply, you get one right. You get the You get them all. Yeah. Um, I guess the one thing, and there, that's really good advice about like kind of what to do with your CV. Um, but I guess the the, the <laughs> sometimes when you're hiring and you're getting lots in, sometimes you're you're kind of you can be looking for a little bit of not entertainment but like what are people actually sending into you that's kind of nearly funny and and the mistakes that people make and i think the biggest one is kind of um completely embellishing making oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i spent three years in this company it was my first ever job i was the deputy ceo by the time i left yeah <laughs> i had half the shareholding you don't want them getting cheesy and cliched and, yeah, yeah all that type because of stuff. if you're looking at that you know sometimes you might read a cv and say well why are you going for this job why aren't you going for a ceo <laughs> yeah. of, of yeah. um so this job for three years had excellent traction it yeah was a, it was i a, transformed the company <laughs> into profitability in this. Yeah, yeah. It's like any of that stuff, you're just reading it and you you definitely will get their attention and you will provide them slight entertainment, but you will also mean that like you're not getting the job yeah. and you're likely to get an interview. Or you'll provide entertainment to the, the person who's the reference when they're called and they're asked, yeah. did this person turn around the company? And one of the, the, the statistics is that 37% of hiring managers realized they hired the wrong person for the job because a new employee was found to have lied on their CV. Yeah. Which, uh, like, shouldn't be a surprise. And I, I think if you're an employee, like, at the end, there's so many ways of checking things out. Even, like, companies do formal background checks and they, they check, kind of, are you really ACCA? They do kind of go onto the ACA website and see if your name is there. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is pretty straightforward to find out that... Um, and just putting your name into Google, so if there's any embarrassing videos out there, be ready to explain them. Um, but even just putting your name into Google, a lot of things will pop up if you kind of go, one, the Boston Martin. <laughs> you, know I mean? like, yeah. <laughs> you want to make sure you did actually win it. Um, but it's things like that. And it's not about them testing your professional skills or your soft skills. If you're caught lying, why would anybody um, ever kind of hire you? And I think instead of embellishment, you're better off getting to the point and having a shorter CV is better than one that you're trying to exaggerate your previous experience or your kind of, if you've been only working for three years, you don't want to give the impression that you've been working for 15 or 20 because that would just get boring. It's That's when it's a one-page CV rather than a two-page yeah. CV. And I think, um, you know, the, the last point I kind of had in it that I don't think we touched on is just when you're doing it, you always need to try, think of it from um, the hiring manager's perspective. Sometimes you get caught 
you know, looking at it from you and what you're trying to show that you know or you mm. can do. But do think of, you know, what are they looking for? And again, a lot of what we saw, I think the figure I had is that 57% of hiring managers place more weight on soft skills. That's something you want to build in. Also, your own growth potential and, and learning potential, you know, that that's something that's important to them. So there's a certain amount of prerequisites you're going to need to hit to to get to the next stage or get to an interview but you also want um, to build up a picture for them in their mind of, of who they're expecting to meet when they see that so I think that's really important it, it really is trying to show off to them why you're the perfect candidate for that specific job don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content important news live streams study tips and much more so Connor, in this week's news stories, we're kind of using the same topic and just looking at both sides of it. And I do want to stress there's a lot of hardship because of the coronavirus, but we're just looking at it from a, a pure business perspective um, and the impacts of the coronavirus. And I guess um, some of the negative impacts on it. And we did touch it on a previous podcast and, and we look at someone like Apple and they're saying because and I'm not saying we should feel sorry for Apple. But if you look at how the production, production and sales are affected because um, there's a lot of production happens in China. There's obviously a huge amount of sales that happen in China because of the size of the economy. Um, and they're kind of, I think Apple are the first ones to, whether they're the first ones to notice, they're definitely the first ones to come out and kind of openly admit that, that this is causing them an issue. And I guess you can see why companies don't want to come out and say, poor us, we're going to lose money because people are, yeah. are getting sick. But I do think it's an important thing to to say and I don't think they're they're also not forecasting how long it might last and yeah. that's the uncertainty it, it creates well one of the I had heard as well just a, a few companies kind of making statements to um, their shareholders because I suppose companies like to get a, ahead of any reported figures and say there might be a reason why they're yeah. lower and get that in early and then if they meet their projections or exceed it it's seen very positively so they, they do anything like this that could be a cause of it or could be a, a, a kind of reason that they can tell shareholders that this might not go as we projected. They try to do as early as possible. Yeah, and I think you look at other companies and uh, JCB are cutting production in the UK because they, there's a shortage of components that are coming from China. Um, and But it's a, it's a really difficult thing to do because um, it really is. It's such an unknown because at the end of the day, um, like there's also in the same report, um, new virus cases outside of the epicenter area, which are obviously is tragic. What in there um, had been declining for 13 days, um, and there's 115 fresh cases now, I guess worldwide, down from 450 a week ago. So it seems to be, uh, would I say, it's taking a turn for the better. Certainly numbers would indicate, um, but we're hardly experts on that one. But it is interesting, and you look at things that even now people from the IMF are coming out and saying that it could have kind of a 0.1 to 0.2 impact on the global economy uh, of a percentage. And and like people say, oh, well, 0.1 or 0.2 isn't a big percentage. But when you're talking about the global economy, yeah. it, it is actually. But I think on the other side, Connor, there are some um, well, it's, industries uh, who are kind of benefiting I, in a I weird way. I think, you know, with, with all these things, there's always 
side to it where, where sometimes kind of surprisingly it, it can have positive effects for certain businesses, which they mightn't have even expected. Yeah. Um, I suppose the one that we looked at that was in the news recently was that a lot of private jet operators have seen a huge spike in requests from passengers because they want to charter their own planes during mm-hmm. the, the outbreak, um, you know, for many uh, different reasons. There's obviously been a huge scaling back of flights in and out of China um, and certain wealthy people who can afford this are turning to try to get private jet operators to arrange flights despite a huge cost. I think the, you know, I the cost here is that if you get a kind of mid-sized jet, which might see eight to ten people. Which is how we costs, fly around, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah. is about $6,000 per hour. So wow. if you're doing that. Um, but yeah, so, so you know, there, it's not that it's happening seamlessly. Actually, most of these companies are having to turn a lot of these away because there is travel bans and restrictions, mm. but also a lack of available planes and crews due to the uh, demand the and demand yeah. that they never could have, you know, anticipated at, yeah. at the, you know, earlier in the year before they this might have all come out. Um, but yeah, for, for one company who are Singapore-based called MyJet Asia, they've seen an increase of 80 to 90% in the last month. Um, so, you know, it can just see how there's always su- surprising effects to these things. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know, for some companies will try try capitalize on that. I know, um, I think most of the co- these companies are being obviously very responsible and working with the local governments to, to make sure they're not in breach um, of, you know, of, of any of the current procedures. What one company was saying is even if they... Um, are able to send their aircrafts and crews into mainland China after this because of the risk of exposure all the crew would have to be quarantined for the minimum two weeks so it's you know it logistically it is difficult but it is interesting that they're being completely overrun with demand yeah, and, I, and I think what interesting about boat viruses is how kind of a, a global event um, and this is a big global event and you look at what people are talking about with environmentally could be bigger global events. Yeah. How, how quickly, like you think the planet's so big and there's so many people and it takes so much to affect them. But it it's, it's also might be a kind of an indicator how future global events, because we are becoming more globalized and so interconnected that it's kind of the, the bad news travels yeah. pretty fast too. And I think uh, it, it really is an indicator and about how things might change in the future if more of these global events happen. I also think you really do start to see how interconnected different industries are, like when this was going on with um, airline industries and the price of oil, but Mm. similarly for companies who have huge production um, in China or the the JCB story that you mentioned, how that can completely affect other markets and other companies. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on LearnSignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams. So, Connor, this week's question came in from a student asking about previous mock exams. So, I guess they're resitting in the next sitting, but they have old mock exams that whether they've bought maybe bought from us or elsewhere, and they're wondering: is it worthwhile, or is it okay doing the same mock exams again in advance of this sitting? Yeah, so absolutely. And for anyone who's um, listened to us on podcasts before or any of the webinars. 
all of, the, you know, a huge amount of the value we talk about coming through mock exams is through the whole experience of sitting down, planning your time, you know, practicing your layout, practicing applying it to the scenario or trying on a CVE. So these are all things that you get again, even doing the same mock exam. So 100%, we, we always talk about, you know, doing questions again, confirming your understanding, making sure you're improving um, but also making sure you're you're still practicing all those other skills like we talked about. Um, so by all means, even if you've done a mock before, doing it again, you really will hone in on those different skills, but you can also track that you're getting better, things are starting to resonate with you. So it's always going to be valuable to you building up towards the exam. So we're going to finish up there for today. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.